This is the smell of a warm three-day-old egg salad sandwich in a wimpy trash bag. Wimpy, wimpy, wimpy. Blech. And this is the smell of that same sandwich in a hefty, ultra-strong trash bag with new Fabuloso lemon scent. Hefty, hefty, hefty. <sighs> smell the difference? When life gives you stinky, get hefty, ultra-strong with new Fabuloso lemon scent. It smells like clean, freshly picked lemons. So no matter what's inside your trash, you can stop the stink and smell the lemon. Daily Premier League news and views. This is Football Social Daily. Hello, this is Football Social Daily, the podcast from Sports Social, keeping your finger on the pulse of the Premier League. The season is just three weeks away now, and when it arrives, we'll have a brand new show for you every single day of the season. No other podcast will do that for you when it comes to the English top flight, so hit subscribe, and that way you won't miss a thing. For now, though, just three shows a week until liftoff on the 13th of August, and it is transfer talk that dominates once again today. Prepare for a bit of deja vu because it's Paul Pogba and Harry Kane in the headlines once more. Their future's a hot topic of conversation this summer. We'll also take a look at the latest moving and shaking going on at Arsenal. Plus, we take a stab at who we think could be the contenders for next season's Premier League Golden Boot. I'm Niall McCorn and all that to come in the company of, I think, a devastated Marley Anderson as the best Newcastle player of a generation has left the club. Florian Lejeune has gone back to Spain. How do you feel, Marley? <laughs> uh, do you know what? It's, it's On the base of it, I don't think it's a great decision. Um, he was genuinely one of our best defenders. <laughs> he just happened to get two, uh, two bad knee injuries. I think he did his ACL twice um, and ended up just not getting fit again. And then Bruce was like, I don't know, he must have turned up for pre-season and Bruce probably looked at him and thought, who the hell is that? <laughs> and then he's rang, uh, rang Deportivo Alaves and said, do you want him permanently? And they've took him. But to be fair, he's 30. So if you don't sell him now, you're probably not going to sell him for anything um, in the next couple of years. So fair play. We have got a lot of centre-backs. They just happen to be all... Uh, a bit rubbish. So, uh, yeah. Well, Newcastle, that's the latest transfer news relating to them. Not too much to report. Obviously, still a few rumblings regarding the takeover of Newcastle United, which I think has been adjourned, hasn't it, until at least next year now. So it's all going on yeah. still. Plenty more time for Marley to wait. Just the two of us today, our squad depleted here at Football Social Daily. I was actually, I was going to ask my uh, my girlfriend if she wanted to come on um, and name all <laughs> seven footballers that she knows. Um, but that would, <laughs> would have made a quite a poor podcast. I think one of, one of the, um, the footballers that I've sort of ingrained into her head over the years is Shola Amiobi <laughs> so if Brilliant. I tell her like name all the footballers she's like Shola Amiobi Alan Shearer John Joe Shelby and I'm like and then she'll pull out some random like Joe Linton and I'm like where the hell did that come from and she's like you're always moaning at him saying he's rubbish when he's on telly I'm like yeah fair enough I mean, everyone, every girlfriend's always got Peter Crouch and David Beckham in their locker somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, I'm sure after the Euros, actually, in England's performance, there might be a few more household names, that's for sure. But let's get stuck into the back pages of today's papers in the UK. This comes from the Mirror and the Express. It's regarding Paul Pogba. Yes, we're talking about Pogba again on the podcast because once more, he's a topic of speculation when it comes to transfers. Allegedly, according to the Mirror, he's snubbed a new £50 million Manchester United contract offer and will be joining PSG this summer. We've heard this before. We've heard that Paul Pogba is on his way out of Manchester United, I think, for the last three or four seasons now. And he stayed put pretty much every summer. But if this is to be true this time around and Pogba does make way, how do you think it'll be received by Man United fans, Marley? Do you think there'll be an element of regret? Because I saw one fan suggest that Pogba is almost representative of Manchester United over the last eight years since Sir Alex Ferguson left the club. So much potential there. And obviously a huge worldwide institution in the game. But there's been a failure to deliver in terms of silverware, which is obviously what a club like United feed off. Do you think that's a fair assessment? Yeah, probably. Um, it sums it up pretty well, doesn't it? Because you always know what Pogba can be when he when he fancies it and when when he produces 100% or or close to 100% of his of his talent sort of thing so yeah it's it's probably is a mirror of of man united in the last 8 8 years i mean they have been you know on paper good enough to be 
better. Obviously, there's a transition period after uh, after Fergie left, and but since Pogba arrived, was it 2017 or 2016? Um, you know, it's it's one of them where it was kind of like, you know, you've you've they signed the work. They, I mean, he was the world record transfer at that time, wasn't he? When he when he joined Man United for 90 million, and that sort of suggests that that, that club, like anybody who's breaking world records transfer wise, should be challenging for league titles. And Man United have been nowhere near that ever ever since he signed, really. And he's probably, you know, not performed his best. I think it'll probably split the fan base. Some some fans always seem to be. You know, it doesn't matter what he does, he's, he doesn't give it every week, so what's the point in having him? Um, and others will be like, well, if we can get a, a good full season out of him where he plays 25 games at, at 80, 85% of what he um, what he can do, at least, then he's, uh, then he's worth keeping. But, you know, law of percentages, isn't it, man? Five years, and he's not mm. had that many good games. He's had, he's had a good season last season, to be fair. Um, mm. And a good work, uh, a good Euros, as as he always does. But you know, can you can you ignore that big check if that comes in? You know, if if there's a big bid come in, PSG for me has always seemed like the perfect um, place for him. I think it's uh, it's quite a you know it's it's a league where he can look like a proper standout player. Um, I think the Premier League has mm. obviously proved that his consistency isn't quite there, but. In France, if he doesn't have a good game, you know Neymar or Mbappe or Icardi or whoever they've got next season will will rip everyone apart. So it doesn't really matter. Whereas Man United need him to have a good game if they're going to win every week, really, because he's the he's the main talisman. But in PSG, they can have five or six different players that can win them games, so it's a bit different. But it seems like a a move for me that. Um, that suits everyone, really. I was going to say with PSG, he's almost guaranteed to win a league title, but obviously that isn't the case because last season PSG somehow <laughs> didn't manage to win it. But they've got a decent manager in Maurizio Pochettino, and although there's kind of a bit of a blemish on his record for not winning something with PSG, do you think there is a case that if Pogba does move over to France, that he is more likely to win a trophy sooner than he would do with Manchester United? Because obviously plenty of semi-finals a couple of seasons ago for Manchester United that they couldn't get through. They did get to a final last season and obviously lost to Villarreal in the Europa League final on penalties. So there have been opportunities, I suppose you could argue, for Pogba in terms of winning trophies at United. But do you think it is pretty much nailed on that if he did make the move to PSG, he'd win a trophy sooner than he would do if he stayed at Old Trafford? <laughs> yeah, because... You know, even even with PSG not winning the league last season, you know, Lille, who have won the league... The managers left. They've been decimated, um, haven't they? Yeah, the, the two or three of the, their good players have left. Renato Sanchez is apparently leaving. Um, there's all kinds of players. They've lost um, the midfielder to um, to Leicester. Sumare, the midfielder, <laughs> he was one of the mm. best players. And it's like, you know, well, there was the competition, and now it's gone. So I mean, even even Pochettino can't ball that one up next season. So <laughs> it's uh, yeah, he's. he's, he's guaranteed to win something it would be the ultimate karma if you left man united for psg and then didn't win anything somehow for the next five years um but that's not going to happen everyone knows psg are probably going to walk the league again next season get back to uh to where they were and they got a hell of a chance of winning the champions league as well because you know adding wijnaldum adding pogba um you know they came pretty close last season only man city turned them over but if you think if they can get to a final without playing Man City, for example, you know they're only one game away from winning it. Really, last last year mm. uh, against Bayern, they got to the final, then the semi-final. So they're there or thereabouts in in terms of their their talent. So we'll see what they can do, but it's certainly like favouring them at the minute. So it's I think it's only a matter of time before they win it. In terms of Man United going forward, with or without Pogba. How much do you think it would affect their chances of being successful next season if he does leave? Because obviously he hasn't performed as consistently at the top level as United fans would have wanted. There's arguments that perhaps because he came in in a difficult spot for Man United and for such a big price tag that he was scapegoated and often got the finger pointed at him in terms of blame for when United didn't do well. And it was almost like he was expected to do too much. With United bringing in Jadon Sancho and it looks likely that they're going to sign Rafael Varane at the back as well, 
Would losing Pogba be a blow? Do you think keeping him with those other key additions that they've made would give them a greater chance of success in the Premier League next season? Yeah, definitely, because I think with, you know, it, it comes back to it. Can you get the best out of him every week? And, mm. you know, as I mentioned about PSG before, you know, they've got five or six guys that can win you a game. Um, Man United adding Sancho um, gives them another attacking op- option or outlet that can win them a game. So putting him in the same team as Pogba, especially in a 4-3-3 formation, is you know, a big step towards what I think would be success. But at the same time, Pogba always does limit how you can play because he has to play centre midfield. He has to have someone behind him to do the dirty work. He has to have someone ahead of him to support him and to to um, to sort of share the load with him a little bit. Um, he can't really play in a 4-2-3-1 because he's not a number 10. He's not a, not a defensive guy. He's, he sort of has a bit almost like a free role. He sort of does what he does. And you sort of react to what he does or doesn't do, you know what I mean? So he he does he does sort of hinder you a little bit, but it, like France France's system is perfect for them because they have the three midfielders and Kante and uh, Rabiot or Matuidi as it was back in the World Cup. They did the dirty work. They did the the running the hard yards. You had Griezmann ahead of him just floating around, being where he wanted, and Pogba could do something similar from a slightly deeper position, but. You know, with, with Man United, it tends to be a little bit different. Um, Bruno sort of plays more freer than than Griezmann uh, maybe does. But, you know, it's he it does sort of limit you. But if you can harness that, then, you, you know, you, you're onto a winner. But Man United haven't done that for the last five years, have they? So, Yeah, I can't help but think that if Paul Pogba left Manchester United, it would be a big blow. A big blow. And even though some people will probably turn their nose up at that and say, oh, well, he hasn't performed that well over the years that he's been there. He's left people wanting more and he hasn't shown his true potential. I think it comes back to that argument of Manchester United as a whole. You know, Manchester United haven't lived up to the expectations set by their fans and set by the club. And that is something that Solskjaer is working hard to try and fix. And it almost feels that if there was one player that embodied that, it would probably be Paul Pogba. But I do think like from what we saw at the Euros and how good he was in those few games for France before they got knocked out by Switzerland in the last 16, that is how good Paul Pogba can be. And I can understand why fans get frustrated that we don't see that Paul Pogba all the time in the Premier League. But then I think back to some United games last season and just wonder what United would have done without him. There was, uh, I think, a one... Full, was it the Fulham game where yeah. he scored that banger? Yeah, yeah, that's exactly what I was going to talk about. There was that 1-0 win against Fulham, or I think it might have been 2-1, but it was definitely just a single goal that was the difference between the two sides. Fulham went down, and obviously United finished second, some way behind City, who won the Premier League. But if it wasn't for him... You know, that would have been a draw against Fulham. There was a game against West Ham where he scored a ridiculous goal from outside the box as well. And if you think about the big game moments and people saying Pogba doesn't turn up in the big moments, remember that Manchester derby from a couple of seasons ago where City needed to win against United to win the league and think they were 2-0 up at half-time and Paul Pogba yeah, came out... 2-0, wasn't it? Yeah. He came out like a man possessed, didn't he? Yeah. yeah, he came out, scored a couple of goals. So I do think that there are moments that Pogba's had where you have to think... Um, of the impact that he has had but maybe it just hasn't quite been there enough but is that just because the rest of United in terms of their squad hasn't quite been on the same level there's so many arguments to have when it comes to Paul Pogba but he is on the back pages of the papers once again this time being linked with a move to Paris Saint-Germain we'll keep an eye on that one on Football Social Daily we're going to stick with Manchester United though and this one comes from the Daily Mail they say that United want Bayern Munich's Leon Goretzka at Old Trafford but not next season, not this season, only when his contract expires in the summer of 2021. So I guess it would be next season, the one after the one coming up. Do you think we're going to see more of these kinds of deals, Marley, just because of the knock-on effects of coronavirus? Obviously, fans look like they're going to be allowed back in to stadiums next season, depending on what the government say in the next few weeks, I suppose. I think the Community Shield is going to be full capacity, Leicester versus Man City, which is good news from a fan's perspective. But obviously, whilst clubs look after their pockets effectively because of the financial impact, do you think there will be more free transfers or cut price deals that teams are looking for? Yeah. um, I mean, you've got to react to the market, haven't you? You know, you've had a year or a year and a half of, of no um, fan 
ticket money coming in through the thing, no concessions money coming in and all the rest of it. So I know that it doesn't really affect elite clubs as much. Um, but you're starting to see this now, aren't you, with, with player power um, you know, going from strength to strength. You're seeing a lot of players take charge of their own careers by saying, no, I'm going to run this down. I'm going to run this contract down. And if you want to sell me with a year to go, fine, or two years to go, fine. But when it gets to this point, I'm leaving. And then, you know, Goretzka did it with Schalke to go to um, to go to Bayern uh, about two years ago. And he signed that contract and then he's, you know, uh, rumoured to be doing it again. So, you know, it does give you more um, sort of accountability over your own career because you're, you've got more choice of, of where you want to go and you can see where you are in terms of um, who wants you. You can make your own decisions and see what the right fit is for you. Whereas if you were with, you know, let's let's say Goretzka wanted to leave and, you know, Fiorentina or... Tottenham were in for him or something like that. It's kind of like that's the only choice. <laughs> I love how you've compared like a middling Serie A club <laughs> to Tottenham. Yeah, Fiorentina <laughs> were rubbish last season as well. I've proper done. I've done Spurs <laughs> dirty there. I apologise, but yeah, it's um, you know, it's it's that thing. If like if they're the only teams interested in you, and your club is wanting to sell, you've only got that two choice that, that choice of two. Whereas if mm. you run your contract down, five or six might say, you know what, what what do you want? Do you want? Would you be willing to accept this this wage because this is all we can offer you? Um, and if you fancy the project, then maybe that's a, you know, you've got more more choice over it. So we we are seeing mm. that a little bit more now, and I think Mbappe is going to do it to get to Real Madrid. Yeah. Um, and do you the, think it's the, good for the market though? Because obviously, with what happened with Neymar a few years ago, where he went for what was it, two hundred and twenty million euros or something ridiculous? Yeah. I can't remember the price tag. Yeah. But I mean, we're going to talk about Harry Kane later, who's been quoted by the Sun as being on the verge of joining City for £160 million. City refute that they'll spend that. We'll obviously go into more detail a bit later on on the podcast. But do you think that's a healthy thing for the transfer market? Because it feels like ever since that Neymar transfer, the percentages and the inflation has just grown exponentially now. You know, you're looking at half-decent players Mm. going for 80 to 90 million. Yeah, Um, definitely, yeah, because, I mean, the market's been completely screwed since PSG signed um, Neymar for two, 220 million because I mean even that comes back to, to Barcelona's terrible management of players having having a release clause which is mandatory in, in Spanish contracts to have it that low when Messi's was like seven, 750 million or something like that um, PSG spotted a loophole and fair play to them because they probably seen the market going that way sooner or later anyway. So you might as well get a 25-year-old Neymar for 220 and and be done with it. But it's, um yeah, from, from then you've seen the market go mental. I mean, Maguire for 80 million, Van Dijk for 75 million. Yes, they're, they're very good players, but, you know, before pre-Neymar, they'd have cost 35, 40 probably. Um, and, you know, now you see, I mean, friggin' Newcastle with Joel Linton, 40 million quid. You'd have, you'd have struggled to get 15 for him before... You know, four years ago, if if everything was the same, so you know it has had the that effect, and and you can see um, <clears throat> players making more of their own careers. You know what I mean? So, it's, and even with the financials of it, you know, if you run your contract down on a fee on a free um, and leave on a free, you get a massive, massive signing on fee, um, and you're talking like ten, twelve million quid on on some people, and that comes in in your pocket. So you are more entitled to run to run your contract down because that buys you a house in the country you're moving to, and you know with eight million to spare, if you go and buy a two million pound home in Spain after you've just got a free transfer to Real Madrid in Mbappe's case, or a five million pound home, you've then got five million in your pocket. You know what I mean? It's it's a huge financial thing for them. So I think we are seeing clubs sort of lose a little bit of control over their players um and that's probably just a knock on a, a knock on effect of the the world in the last two or three years i suppose i think it's a really good point you make and it's one that jim actually brings up a lot when we talk about transfers on football social daily and a good example i think would be the two brazilians that joined arsenal last summer david luiz uh, i think was the summer before actually and then william last summer where both of those arrived on free contracts from chelsea but, you know, we talk about free transfers and, oh, can you believe it? They got that player on a free. Well, like you say, the signing on fee would have been significant. 
So actually, yes, they do get them on a free transfer, but then they can sort of negotiate a, a signing on fee for themselves and probably a better wage than if they were being bought from another club, if that makes sense. So I certainly think that is something that people do overlook when we talk about transfers. There's so many nuances to it. For instance, you know, paying in instalments and all the rest of it. And we'll come on to it a little bit later as well when we talk about Harry Kane, because there's something I wanted to mention about the price tags and stuff like that. But like you say, the market has inflated since that Neymar transfer. And although that's been the case, you can still get a bit of a bargain. And this looks like what could happen between Crystal Palace and Leicester, who, according to The Guardian, are vying it out in for Schalke defender Ozan Kabak, who was, of course, on loan at Liverpool last season. A bit of an emergency loan needed for Jurgen Klopp, seeing as Virgil van Dijk and Gomez and Matip um, couldn't stay fit for the whole season. They had an injury crisis at the back and he went on loan there to Anfield. But now it looks like Palace and Leicester are in contention to sign in permanently after Liverpool said that they weren't going to take up that permanent option. The fee is said to be £10 million to £12 million. I don't think that's too bad, to be honest with you, in the modern day and age. I think that's a pretty good deal. But do you think we saw enough of him at Liverpool last season or enough from him to feel that he can do a job in the Premier League for either of those two teams? Uh, yeah, I, I think so, yeah. Um, 10 to 12 million. I mean, we've just been talking about how crazy the market is. So if yeah. you get 10 to 12 million for a, for a guy who's 21, is he 20, 21? Something he's like young. that. Really young. So... You know, he's played at Liverpool for six months, didn't do too badly, didn't do great, but you know, they were gonna have their their eyes set on on mm. bigger names, I suppose, and they did that as soon as the season ended by going and signing Coniate. So mm. that was um there. But I'm I'm thinking if, if Palace sign him, I think Palace is a um a decent move for him because he can get thirty five games a season easily. Yeah. Um he can it looks like in... Gary Cahill's gonna leave Crystal Palace as well because he's in his yeah. mid thirties now and he wants a year contract extension, I think, with better wages, which Crystal Palace are just saying we're not keen on that. So I certainly think Palace are in the market for a centre half. And his wages will be huge as well, won't they? Or even now, you know what I mean, won't they? Because he came from Chelsea well, sort of came from Chelsea, didn't he? So yeah. So yeah, I mean I definitely think that Palace are in the market for a centre-back. And I even saw a report, I'm not sure which player, you'll probably know better than me, that Newcastle are after a player um, who's going to cost them £13 million. And that's obviously someone who hasn't played in the Premier League. So even though it's only six months, um, he's a young player with potential. He went through the, the rough times with Schalke, who basically couldn't buy a win for love nor money in the Bundesliga last season. They were getting pasted left, right and centre every week in Germany. And uh, they loaned him obviously, to Liverpool when Liverpool were in a bit of a crisis at the back. So actually, I think in terms of the age of the player and the experience of the player, I think that that is a, a real decent price. And the fact that a club like Leicester, who we've praised on the podcast so many times for their recruitment, are interested as well as Crystal Palace, I think that speaks quite highly of him and his abilities. Yeah, I do as well. I think um, I think Leicester, you know, Leicester would be a better move for him, but he'll play less games. I mean... You'll probably play, you know, they've got Soyuncu, Evans um, and Fafana. So you're probably looking at him being fourth choice there and only getting a game if they if they choose to play a back three at, at times. Whereas Palace, you can slot in alongside the new lad that uh, Mark, I don't know how you pronounce his second name, is it Gehi? Gehi? Yeah, I'm going with Gwehi, but Gwehi. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm not that's sure. That's who we mean anyway. Um, you can slot in alongside him, build a, build a partnership there and... You know, mm. with the market, as we say, you know, if he does okay in the next two seasons, then someone else will maybe come in for him and they'll certainly pay more than 10 or 12 million. Um, so, yeah, it seems like good business for me. If they can get him, he's certainly for sale. Um, it seems like a straightforward deal. Mm. Um, the only thing I would say is that Liverpool, you know, we talk about 10 or 12 million. You know for a fact that if he was being sold to Liverpool, it'd be 30 million minimum, wouldn't it? <laughs> I, that's, that's kind of the... The thing I got from this, like, I can't believe the, the fee's so low depending on who you're selling to. Um, that's the tax you, you pay as a top club. And I do, I do feel sorry for clubs at times where mm. they they just get priced out of the market because the team see you come in and say, well, you're paying twice as much as what we wanted, so more fool you if you can pay it. But mm. that's the nature of the game, I suppose. So there's no there's no regulatory body that sets prices for players. Um, so you can, you know, you can, you can just screw teams over, but yeah, Palace have got a chance. I think. Imagine if that was the case, you know, we talk about these rankings 
of the most valuable players in the world from the, the yeah. football observatory. I wonder if they were just like the regulator and they set the prices for players. Um, <laughs> could you imagine like if it was every player had a, had a set price dictated by statistics yeah. <laughs> and data rather than what they were valued to by the player? It would be more like the American football system where you got transfers galore every single summer. Um, we will be yeah. talking about more transfers next on Football Social Daily. We're going to take a quick break and then we're going to talk about Arsenal signing young star Emil Smith-Rowe to a new long-term contract. We'll do it next here on Football Social Daily. Welcome back to the show. This is Football Social Daily from Sports Social. My name's Niall Marley-Anderson. It's with me. We're still talking transfers because it's that time of the year. Just three weeks to go until the start of the new Premier League season. And when that happens, we'll have a brand new podcast every single day of the campaign for you. No other Premier League podcast will do that for you. So make sure you hit subscribe and that way you won't miss an episode. We'll have match previews, match reviews and loads of other content as well. Not just here on the podcast, but also over on our website and on Amazon Alexa and Google home smart speakers you can find the website sport-social.co.uk we hope to see you there time to talk about Arsenal now who yesterday announced they've signed Emil Smith Rowe to a new long-term contract as per club policy the length of the contract hasn't been revealed but I can tell you now that is a five-year deal that he's signed with Arsenal uh, he's a promising player I mean you could argue last season was a breakthrough season for him Marley and what was a difficult campaign for Arsenal on the whole yeah he was he was one of the the bright lights I suppose um when he come into the team around sort of Christmas ish maybe a bit later um and yeah he's 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 done really well I think he he was what Arsenal needed at, at the time you know they needed somebody a creator you know after they finally got rid of the Ozil saga and put that to bed and paid him god knows how much to leave the club in the end um, you know, he was one that they needed to replace. Um, so Smithrow coming along was was a nice little um, sort of boost to the season because they they certainly needed it. They were going nowhere fast until they went out of the Europa League and then picked it up massively. But that coincided with Smithrow's um, introduction into the team. So he's uh, he looks he looks a top player. I think when he was out on loan, I think he had in- injuries that affected him a little bit at Huddersfield. Uh, when they were in the Premier League, and I think he might have went there the season they were in the Championship as well. I'm not not quite sure, but he um, it was hard to see his potential because he was in a team that was you know way out of its depth. So it's it's just one of them where you know you put a a player in a better team and they play better because they're playing with better players. It's just the nature of of football. That's how it works. Um, so sometimes players don't get that chance and they they sort of go by the wayside a little bit. But Smithrow has come into the team. He looks fully at home. They they were relying on him at certain points last season, Arsenal, to, to create something for them. Um, and people forget Arsenal were the form team at the end of the season. I think they won eight in a row. Um, ended up finishing, was it eighth, I think, in the end? And then uh, sort of showing signs of, of coming back, you know what I mean? So... If they can get a full season of Smith Rowe and Saka, they can get the striker situation sorted out with Aubameyang starting to score again. Um, <laughs> he's lost all his hair. Did you see that photo of Aubameyang? He seems to have receded massively. That's a sign of Arsenal as a football club for the last two years, isn't it? So, yeah, it's, um, yeah. I, I hope well, maybe he's off to Turkey to have a, a hair transplant or something. I don't know. Uh, Rooney, get Rooney's uh, Rooney's barbers on it. But uh, yeah, Smith Rowe. I like him as well. He looks like a good player, doesn't he? I like I like his his style, what he's about, and stuff like that. So I think Smith Rowe and Saka can sort of usher in that that new generation for uh, for Arsenal, and hopefully they can get rid of Willian because he's just costing them an absolute fortune every week. And hopefully they can flog him to China or something like that and <laughs> take someone to to pay his wages. I agree, to be honest, and I, I like Smith Rowe as well, and I obviously like Saka, and I, I totally side with what you say in terms of them being the the bastions, almost the the flag bearers for a new youthful Arsenal era under Mikel Arteta, who I think has still got plenty of work to do. But as I say, he's just twenty years old, two goals and four assists in twenty Premier League games last season. With this new contract, Arsenal have handed him the number ten shirt, Marley. Do you think there's still big responsibility in that sort of thing? Or is it just the number on the back of a jersey? Because he's only 20, as I say. He's still relatively unproven. 
And if you think through Arsenal history, some of their legends like Dennis Bergkamp, for example, used to wear the number 10 shirt at Arsenal. So do you think there's still big responsibility and pressure in that sort of thing? Just simply having a number on the back of your shirt? Obviously, you'd know that well with Newcastle and that iconic number nine shirt, which is always linked with Alan Shearer. Yeah, and we've got a new number nine this season with Callum Wilson taking it as well. So, um, yeah, I, I, do you know what? I think there is much more of a uh, a sort of change in how things sort of are when when somebody takes a new uh, a new shirt because you know the number ten is is traditionally probably in most countries around the world the best player at the club whereas number ten you know Pele wore number ten. Maradona wore number 10. Um, I always laugh when you say Pele just because he's his goal <laughs> record. <laughs> yeah. Apparently he wore number 10 when he was scoring all those goals past his dog in his garden <laughs> and counting them on his record. But yeah, it's, a, like, it's historic, it's traditional. Maybe not, maybe more at some clubs than others, but, you know, it's it's a, it's a sign, like it's a message of you are in the first team now, you are one of our best players. Um and I think it's it's just a message to to him. Like you've got the number ten, you're a you're a local lad, you're Arsenal sort of through and through. You you are you're our player. Um and now he's took this number ten. I think Ozil was the last one to wear it. Um and that it's almost like, yeah, you're the new Ozil, so you're you're our, our hope sort of thing. Um and if you can be slightly less moody than William Gallas was where he, <laughs> when he wore the number ten <laughs> you can uh, you're on to a winner there. Love that. William Gallas. Didn't he threaten to score some own goals at one point as well? I think I remember that for some reason. When he Was he moving from Chelsea yeah. to Arsenal? He threatened to score some own goals. I don't know whether that's just like yeah. one of those Premier League urban legends or whether it's genuinely true. But I think everything to do with William Gallas is true. <laughs> of everything you've heard, and you've probably only heard half of it, is, uh, is, is true. He was genuinely nuts. Just not the guy you'd have as captain. I remember, do you remember when he went and sat on the floor in, in his own half when... He gave away a penalty or something, or a penalty was given against Arsenal. He went and sat in his own half and just sulked, basically. I think only forward um, players can get away with that, because Di Canio did that once, and it's become almost like iconic. Him sort yeah. of having a tantrum and requesting to be taken off by Harry Redknapp for West Ham. I do think William Gallas is one of the few players, if any, that I can think of that has played for Chelsea, Arsenal and Tottenham. You don't get too yeah. many that, that do that. I wanted to carry on talking about this Smith Rowe transfer, because... Interestingly enough, there's been plenty of comment on this on social media in reaction to Aston Villa trying to sign Smith Rowe this summer. For me, the reaction of the Arsenal fans on social media and even the Arsenal admin on Twitter who tweeted, nowhere he'd rather be, and a picture of Emil Smith Rowe with his new number 10 shirt having signed a new contract. This sums up for me how far Arsenal have fallen. From winning titles and being in the Champions League knockout stages, you know, being invincible in 2003, getting to the Champions League final in 2006, they've gone from that to now teasing Aston Villa fans that they didn't sign a 20-year-old midfielder who scored twice last season. They've basically (laughs) bragged about signing their own player. I mean, does this not just sum up where Arsenal are at the moment? Do you think they're rattled a bit? It's the small wins, mate. It's it's all they've got at the minute. You know, rub it into Aston Villa, we're essentially a mid-table team with with big dreams, but they have only dreams right now. So, yeah, it's. (laughs) I understand your point. It's uh, there's there's a meme on the internet which kind of suits it, which is hilarious. It's like that one of um, the guy celebrating and giving the finger to everyone and then pouring the champagne in his own mouth. <laughs> and it zooms out and there's like five people in front of him <laughs> up the up the podium sort of thing. So yeah. that is that does seem like Arsenal right now of uh, of you know sticking it to Aston. Yeah. It's weird, isn't it? It's strange behaviour. The the whole nowhere he'd rather be well every player should rather be at Arsenal than Villa that's how it's meant to be like in the history of football they're a bigger club so you know it's it's kind of like Newcastle getting someone and sticking it to middle of where they outbid <laughs> them you know it's just it's, it's strange or, or or even Sunderland it's strange, and it all seems but... a bit one way as well it seems like more Arsenal towards Aston Villa I don't think Aston Villa fans really care too much obviously Villa took Buendia <laughs> ahead really. of Arsenal obviously Buendia left Norwich and went to Aston Villa and certainly was interesting Arsenal and Arsenal couldn't get that deal done they also signed Martinez from Arsenal who I think is easily a better keeper than who Arsenal have got right now so many maybe there's a little bit of 
um, angst built up there. Who knows? But certainly, I think it's interesting. My favourite comment from the weekend of social media was an Arsenal fan who said, what's stopping Arsenal from winning the league this season? And someone just replied, the other seven teams that are better than you, mate. <laughs> Which I thought was absolutely brilliant. Just one one last thing on that. You know, the shirt number thing. I was looking on the Arsenal number 10 shirt history and we, we, we talked about that and stuff. The, the number nine history is hilarious because it's Lacazette at the minute which is fine yeah. but before that it was Lucas Perez <laughs> and then before that it was Lucas Podolski who was fairly average for them there's before that, be a sham act in there somewhere. it was Park Chu Young <laughs> before that it was Eduardo you know the guy who horrifically broke his leg that time yeah um, before that it was Jose Antonio Reyes okay um, then Julio Baptista before that <laughs> then Francis Jeffers Davo Suke for a season, and then Nicholas Anelka way back. We're going back to 1999 now, but I mean that is a, a run, pretty shocking. That's like the, <laughs> the Chelsea number nine situation as well, where it was almost cursed. But yeah, that's brilliant. I love that. That's funny. Uh, well, talking of number nines, Harry Kane. Let's go to the other side of North London and to Tottenham Hotspur now. We will be inevitably talking about Kane right throughout the rest of the summer. We've spoken about him multiple times on the podcast already. And that's because it's speculation that just simply won't disappear. Harry Kane to Manchester City, according to the Sun newspaper, is allegedly on for £160 million. Tottenham Hotspur allegedly are standing firm. They say that Harry Kane isn't for sale. Renowned transfer expert Fabrizio Romano has tweeted... Just a few hours ago, suggesting that Tottenham have only had one bid for Harry Kane. That was for 100 million and that was rejected and they won't be selling him. And Manchester City have also come out and almost poo-pooed this story in the sun because they say they would never spend 160 million or anywhere near that sort of money on a football player at that club. Even though they've got the means to do so, that is City's standpoint. So we've gone from this morning, Kane to City being on for 160 million quid, to both sides being very stubborn indeed. We knew that if this was going to happen and Kane would leave Tottenham, it wouldn't be unless it was for a big fee, Marley. But 160 million is an eye-watering amount of money, as we discussed earlier with the Neymar transfer from a few years ago. As good as Harry Kane is, and as much money as Manchester City have... I can't see, much like City have said, them spending that amount of money on a player. No, me neither. Um, look, it's pretty sort of obvious that they are going to have to spend more than they've ever spent on a player to get Kane. But you know, that's that's doubling their transfer fee and then a bit more because the the transfer right now it's um, Rodri, isn't it, for sixty seventy one? Is it something like that? Um, so you talk, you know, you're talking doubling that and then adding adding another twenty million onto that. So, um, yeah, it's it's seems a bit too far for me. Um, I think any any deal that gets done for Kane will be a lot of add-ons and a lot of bonuses and things like that. Like when they win the Premier League, twenty million or whatever. Um, but I mean, for me, I would I would sort of lean towards players being involved in, in the fee because the fee is so much that you have mm. to offset it somehow. Um, Do you think that's why we're seeing players like Gabriel Jesus and Bernardo Silva linked with moves elsewhere? Because like yeah, you say, I, City I aren't so. going to spend £160 million, even if it is on someone as good as Kane. But even if they do somehow change their minds, do a U-turn and end up opening their wallets up and spending that much money, they're going to need yeah. to recoup it from somewhere and inevitably that will probably mean selling other players that they've got in the squad yeah like one way or another they have to raise money whether they can drive the price down by including player plus cash or they can sell and you know put money in the coffers to to afford him is is two ways you can go about this because you know they, they have to they have to offset it somehow you, you can't be expecting to pay 160 and then keep everyone you've already got so um but that's that's just kind of how where Man City are in it because they've lost Aguero for free, um, they've lost David Silva for free in in previous years. So you're talking like, you know, the expenditure to replace them is going to be huge, and also not offset by the fact that you've sold you've not sold them for anything. So it's not like you you know you you sell in David Silva for eighty million, you can go and spend fifty on a replacement or sixty or seventy. Um, so it's it's just the way it's worked out for for us. Um, 
Arsenal. I'm sorry, I'm still looking at the Arsenal squad number Arsenal history. Arsenal on the brain. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it's, that's just the way it's worked out for Man City, isn't it? So, you know, at some point, if you run your club like that, which is, you know, not saying they've they've run it poorly, they've run it very, very well, but it's just the nature of, of how they've run it that they've, they've got, you are going to run into sort of moments in your history where if you want a player, you have to spend a hell of a lot of money. And, you know, as we said before, the the tax on top of it when people see mm. you coming is is madness because yeah. um, if they were selling Harry Kane to Real Madrid he might go for a hundred or hundred and ten um, but because it's City and it's a rival uh, not not a well, yeah sort of a rival like in the same league as in they both say. play in the same division yeah yeah they are <laughs> they are statistically in the same league but in terms of being clubs they are leagues apart <laughs> um, and ambitions and stuff like that but yeah they've they've just got to I think they've got to bite the bullet really and and, and take him. I wanted to ask this because it kind of touches upon what we mentioned earlier in terms of, you know, a player is only worth to a club what the clubs say that they're worth, if that makes sense. I know it isn't the fans' money to spend, of course it's not, but some supporters almost treat transfers like it is their money sometimes. I've seen a few Manchester City fans saying Kane isn't worth 100 million, let alone 160. It would be a rip-off, don't pay it. Manchester City aren't short of a few quid. There's no secret in that. And it also isn't the fans' money to spend. And I'm sure there's probably no real danger of Manchester City going bankrupt and running out of cash. But is Kane worth it at that price? Do you think if speculation, we are on the side of caution and say this is going to go ahead and it will cost £160 million, like the Sun are reporting, do you think that Kane is worth it? In your opinion, do you think he is valuable at that 160 million price tag, um, for for man like as a player, yes, but for Manchester City, no, because I think Man City could sign a cheaper player and still win the league, and still be in the last four of the Champions League. Like they should have won the Champions League last season. They probably should have won it the year before as well. Um, so it's not like they're not there without him. You know, you know what I mean? Like, yes, Aguero's a miss. But also, they, they walked the league without Aguero last season. So I feel like a full season of Gabriel Jesus up front, they'd still win the league. Plus, you know, a backup striker coming in. You know, let's say they signed, uh, I don't know, some just let's say they signed Danny Ings, for example. Ings and Jesus could still win you the league title. They'd score enough goals. Danny Ings is a, a fox in the box. He's, he's one of them strikers who, if you give him chances, he'll score your goals as long as he stays fit. So it's more like the style of play, which you know yeah. is effective in terms of just having someone there who can finish. Which is probably why we've seen Ferran Torres play through the middle. And uh, you know, I do think that maybe that's what Pep Guardiola might be looking at. But there's no doubt that Jack Grealish and Harry Kane are of interest to Manchester City. I just wonder if he does stay at Spurs, will that change how he is as a player? Because he's going to be 28 on Wednesday. And it was almost, it almost to me feels like when Wilfred Zaha was denied a move away from Crystal Palace. I know it's slightly different <laughs> which, because... Which season? Yeah, well, exactly. <laughs> but I know it's slightly different because they're worlds apart in terms of their quality. No disrespect to Zaha. But he almost went missing for six months at Palace after that deal got rejected. And then he burst back into life again. I don't think Tottenham can afford to have a Harry Kane that doesn't want to be there. I'm not saying that he's going to down tools. But certainly a Harry Kane who's motivated and determined is far more dangerous. And I think that that counts for any player, really, um, in terms of their psyche and their mental state. They want to be there competing for top honours. And I think Kane's made it pretty clear that he's probably not keen to stay at Spurs for another season. But on the same token, I don't think he's the sort of player to go, right, I didn't get my own way, I'm going to throw a tantrum. I just wonder whether that will affect him, particularly considering Tottenham's first game of the season. Guess who it's against? You guessed it, <laughs> Manchester City. So we'll watch that one with interest, as we will do throughout the rest of the summer. Some more positive Tottenham news, though, is that Son Heung-min has signed a new deal at the club. How much of a boost is that, Marley, for Tottenham uh, particularly in the midst of this Kane drama, because he looked miserable by all accounts. Son turning up to preseason training for the first day the other day, uh, but he looked much happier in the photos they released of him having signed a new deal. It's a long-term deal to take him into his thirties, so it looks like he's really sort of made his home at Tottenham Hotspur, and he's not entertaining a move elsewhere. Yeah, I um, I, I don't know if I'm if I'm surprised. Um. I'm not surprised he stayed because he he always seemed happy. But I I would be 
surprised that he stayed because of Kane leaving, for example. But if you know, if Kane leaves, I, th- I think Son's just just there, sort of floating around. And yes, he's the best player, but you know, they're they're not in in any danger of winning anything. So I think um, Son's in the exact same position as Kane is. He's never won a a, a club trophy, and I feel like he's he's almost signed his his uh, his sort of CV now as, as as blank because if they don't win anything by the time this contract ends he'll be 34 not going anywhere at 34 are you really um, unless you go to I don't know America and win a trophy or China or something like that or, or back to Germany or whatever he does God knows what he'll do in, in five years time or four years time but you know it's yeah I feel like it's a little bit of a lack of ambition because any club in the world I think would have some I don't think anybody I think he could get into the Real Madrid team or the Barcelona team or the Atletico team or Juventus, anyone like that, Inter, anyone, really. He's brilliant. He, yeah, He's absolutely brilliant. I mean, best I, one I, of the best in the world. I can't remember the stats, but his his record at Tottenham since he's been there is brilliant. And obviously this partnership that he's forged with Harry Kane, they have a great relationship in terms of assists. I think they broke the record for the most assists between two players and sort of combinations, goal combinations, whatever they call it, in a single season. Since the mid-90s when Blackburn won the Premier League with Sutton and Shearer. And they're only two away between them, Son and Kane, for breaking the all-time record, which is set by Frank Lampard and Didier Drogba, who obviously had a great relationship and understanding. So in terms of what Tottenham do going forward, everything is always kind of channeled towards Harry Kane. But Son is so important to what Tottenham do. So I think it's pretty pivotal for them that they have tied him down. Yeah. Um, you know, if, at the end of the day, if you've got a partnership and you lose them both, you've got nothing. So you want to keep at least one of them. I mean, Son Son is one of the players that he seems like a proper team player to me. You know, there's no ego about him. There's no, you know, if you're in a better position to score, he'll pass it to you. He's not one of them head down, I'm scoring for myself type of, type of players. So... Um, Although he can do that, he scored a brilliant goal. I think yeah. was it against Burnley last Burnley. season. Yeah, where he just took the entire team on and said, "You're all <laughs> shit. I'm going past you all." <laughs> brilliant. Um, um, he's yes. brilliant. Yeah, he absolutely Amazing is. And player. fair play for signing a new deal. And good news for Tottenham fans, amongst some uncertain news when it comes to Harry Kane. Seems to be a day for signing contracts because whilst this podcast is being recorded. Manchester United have confirmed that Jadon Sancho has arrived at Old Trafford. He signed a five-year contract, which will keep him in Manchester until June 2026. He scored 50 goals and assisted 64 in the Bundesliga for Borussia Dortmund in his four seasons there. I wonder how he will fare in the Premier League next season. We'll be talking transfers more as the weeks roll on because it's just three weeks to go until the Premier League season. But we'll put it on the back burner for now because next on Football Social Daily, we'll be talking goal scorers and who we think might scoop next season's golden boot. Welcome back to Football Social Daily. I'm Niall McCorn, Marley Anderson with me on today's show. Three episodes a week for now until the Premier League season kicks off again on the 13th of August. And then we'll be back to a full schedule, seven days, including episodes looking ahead to the weekend's Premier League action and reviewing all the games too. If you hit subscribe or follow on whatever podcast platform you listen to this show on that way, you'll be notified as soon as a new episode's ready and you won't miss one. Last Friday on Football Social Daily, we discussed the early favourites with Boyle Sports to win the Premier League next season. We haven't got Leon with us this week, but we're going to take a look at who the Golden Boot contenders will be anyway and we've spoken about Harry Kane extensively through this podcast he's the current holder of the golden boot won it last season with 23 goals he's currently the favorite with Boyle Sports Marley to to retain his golden boot I mean if he does move to Manchester City I mean first of all is he the rightful favorite I think he is regardless of where he ends up next season and second of all if he goes to Manchester City does that shorten the odds? Because surely he's more likely to score even more goals if he does go to City than if he stayed at Spurs. What, so is it three to one now? I think if he went to Man City, it'd be one to three, I think. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> to, uh, to to carry that on because you know, the amount of chances they would create is, is insane. And, you know, he'd probably score. 
he'd probably score more tappings than anybody else scored goals. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like he wouldn't have to score worldy goals from outside the box. He'd just be a lurker, just on the six yard line, just waiting for the cutbacks and the and the little passes through to finish past uh, the goalkeeper and stuff like that. So yeah, I think he's he's obviously got to start as um as favourite for, for Golden Boot. I think Salah's probably in there as well, but I feel like Liverpool seem to be stagnating a little bit. I don't know whether um, he's quite going to be as effective going forward. I think, obviously, still quality to, uh, Salah, but, you know, Liverpool have to find their attacking instincts you know, quickly. They have to get them back because otherwise Man City will, will pull away yeah. pretty quickly, you know what I mean? So, it's... Um, yeah, other than that, I mean, they're the, they're the two standouts. I think I don't know who else is mm. is sort of even linked in the running. I very much doubt Joel Linton's going to be uh, <laughs> troubling those guys. But uh, yeah, it's <laughs> yeah, you know, it's uh, it's it's one of them. In it, you know, he's the man to stop. Only injuries will stop him. I I, I would think. Well, Joel Linton is I think two hundred to one with Boyle Sports to win the Golden Boot Oof. next season. I think Newcastle's so that means best... if, any, if, you, if anyone doesn't understand betting, that means if you put a tenner on, you'll lose a tenner. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. That's a classic. I always laugh at that one. Um, Newcastle's best chance of Golden Boot glory rests with their number nine, Callum Wilson, who's fifty to one with Boyle Sports. If you are a Toon fan and fancy a little flutter, there we'll come on to perhaps some outside shouts for the Golden Boot a little bit later on but in terms of second favourite behind Kane it is Mo Salah 22 goals last season for Liverpool he's always up and around it isn't he Marley he's always scoring goals even last season which was a bit of a lacklustre season for Liverpool on the whole he was still free scoring so he's always a good shout at 4-1 to one with Boyle Sports you wouldn't begrudge anyone by putting a few quid on Mo Salah to be the golden boot winner next season yeah he's he's always there and you know, he, let's be honest he takes penalties as well and he wins penalties so um yeah, it's it. You you wouldn't rule him out. You wouldn't say he's definitely not going to win it because you know if King goes down with an ankle injury and and Salah has a decent run of games with in that sort of um that that, that sort of chasm where there's there's no competition for him, then fair play. You know he he could be there and he could he could take that crown easily. But yeah, it's just it just depends on Liverpool's um where they are as a club. You know what I mean? It's not. You know they weren't anywhere near where they were two seasons ago last season. So if they can get back to that, then then fair fair enough. They've they've got that chance. But um, yeah, I mean it's going to take something else to to topple Kane from that top of the charts. Yeah, I mean talking about players that take penalties, much like Mo Salah, Bruno Fernandez is one of those for Manchester United. He came third in last season's Golden Boot running with eighteen Premier League goals. But a goal-scoring midfielder for me is always an outside chance for the golden boot. I mean, you look at players like Frank Lampard, for example, Chelsea's record goal scorer, a goal machine in terms of a box-to-box midfielder who can find the back of the net. Frank Lampard's one of my favourite ever players. Um, But I can't see Bruno Fernandes getting close, really, to any of the strikers in the Premier League next next season. And that's why he's 20-1 to with Boyle Sports to win the golden boot. 18 goals that season weren't 15 penalties. I wouldn't be surprised, you know. I really wouldn't be surprised. I mean, what's interesting for me is if we dive into the details. Three seasons ago, Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang of Arsenal shared the golden boot with Sadio Mane of Liverpool and Mohamed Salah of Liverpool, who both scored 22 goals each. Uh, Aubameyang, of course, scored 22 as well. However, after a difficult last couple of seasons where he hasn't quite been at it, Aubameyang is way back at 20 to 1 to be the golden boot winner with Boyle Sports next season. Do you think that there's any chance we could see a reconnaissance, a renaissance, a rejuvenation of Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang for Arsenal next season? Yeah, we we could do. Um I think last season one of the the issues was, you know, he was injured a little bit and and what have you and, and Arsenal were up and down, but I think one of the main reasons was that he was playing on the left. And then he was playing up front, and then he was out on the left again, and they were trying to find that that way of playing that got the best out of him. And I think if you play him on the left, I don't think you get the best out of him. I think he's one of the best finishers in the world, um, and he can he he should be up front. Like, forget about Lacazette um, in in terms of who's the better striker, you know, main striker. I think he's he's played there all his career. Um, yes, his his pace is useful on a wing, but 
you know, in terms of being in the box, he can head the ball. He's he's a big lad. I think he's like six foot one, which people forget. He's he's a big unit. Um, he can run away from the last man. You're not going to catch him. He can finish with both feet. He's got creativity in his finishes. He can go around the keeper, lift it over him. All types. He's got everything in his locker. Um, so for me, Arsenal need to to stick him up front. And with with no two games a week, I think twenty to one is a is a huge price for like I don't like don't get me wrong I don't think he's going to win it, but twenty to one is massive for you know a tenner could return you two hundred quid for that so you know if you can get thirty eight games of him playing as a centre forward once a week you know and Arsenal get it right you know as as I mentioned before they were one of the most informed teams in in the last um, part of that season of last season so if you can get the best out of him. You know, that's that's something that you could you could maybe look at as a bit of value. In terms of value, there might be some outside shouts. Dominic Calvert-Lewin was good in the Premier League last season for Everton. Danny Ings, as we've already discussed, knows where the back of the net is. Patrick Bamford was a bit of a legend when it comes to fantasy football for Leeds. I mean, there are some possibilities there, but for the one player that stands out for me is the player that won the Golden Boot just two seasons ago with 23 goals. And that's Jamie Vardy, who won it in 2019-20. He's 25-1 to with Boyle Sports to be the golden boot winner next season. I know Leicester have signed Pats and Dacca, and there may be, with Iheanacho picking up some form, more competition up front for Leicester City next season. But I don't think you can look past someone like Jamie Vardy, who, as I say, won the trophy just two seasons ago and is a really big price at 25-1. to I think that could be a little bit of a dark horse. Yeah, it could be. Um, it's probably that big because of his poor end to the season with Iheanacho coming along and scoring most of the goals. But yeah, it's um, he's not out of it, is he? I mean, we, we keep expecting him to to age and to, to look... Um, you know, like lose his pace and what have you. But I mean, he picked up loads of assists last season playing in a partnership with with Kalechi Hinacho. And if he can, um, if he can carry that on, I think he's still got at least fifteen goals in him. And you know, fifteen is not far away from twenty twenty one, which it usually takes you to win the uh, win the title. I think Dakar as well is is very quick. He could win you a few penalties that could play into Vardy's hands and things like that. So. Yeah, it's, um, if you're looking for value, I mean, Aubameyang and, and Vardy are probably the ones you'd look at. One final one on potential Golden Boot winners for next season as we look ahead to the new Premier League campaign. Chelsea have been linked with Erling Haaland. I don't know if this one's going to go ahead from a transfer perspective, but let's just say that the Norwegian does touch down at Stamford Bridge. In terms of where he slots into the favourites, we've discussed Harry Kane, we've discussed Salah. Where does Haaland go? if he comes in to the Premier League. Is he good enough, do you think, to hit the ground running and be a contender for the Golden Boot in his first season in the Premier League, if that is to be the case? Because we know what it's like with Chelsea and their strikers over the years. Yeah, definitely. Um, even though, you know, Chelsea's curse is is weird. Um, <laughs> you know, he's the kid's a freak. The kid's an absolute robot. I've never seen him not do well. Um you know, first game aware of him when he scored nine goals in the Norway under twenty three game. Um that's about three or four years ago. And since then he's just been he's been on fire, hasn't he? He's scored everywhere, he's scored against every type of opposition. You never back him to you never think oh you know, he'll struggle against them because he's got everything, pace, power, um ridiculous left foot, the technique and the power he can generate is is madness. Um and the way Chelsea play as well, I think He's he would slot into that quite well, I think, with two, you know, they're, they're three five two three four three style formation, you know, is centered around supporting a striker. He's got two attacking midfielders and crosses coming into the box from left and right. So you're looking at that and thinking if he can hit the ground running, he'd be right up there. I think he'd be, um, you know, four or five to one. Um, it's not far off off Kane's uh, value as well. So. Yeah, he's. Um, I'd love to see him in the Premier League one day. Um, ideally, with Man City, I think that's a. It's a nice thing to follow your dad into a, a certain club. I don't think he quite suits Chelsea as well as he would Man City, but still, I want to see him. I want to see him tear, <laughs> tear Jamal Lascelles and Federico Fernandez a new bum hole. <laughs> uh, I'm happy to see that. I'm not, you know, just for the good of the league. I'll I'll take them take him scoring four goals in a six-one win for Newcastle uh, against Newcastle every season. So, 
bring it on. Well, obviously no betting for Erling Haaland at the moment with Boyle Sports, seeing as he's not a Premier League player, but there are some potential odds on Erling Haaland's next club. All you need to do is go and check boilsports.com or the Boyle Sports betting app. Don't forget, all odds on the podcast are right at the time of recording the show. They are liable to change. But once again, you can check those latest odds with Boyle Sports on their website, boilsports.com or the Boyle Sports betting app. Don't forget, it's 18 plus to gamble. Please gamble responsibly and terms and conditions do apply. That's it for today's Football Social Daily. Cheers, Marley, just the two of us uh, walking down the old dusty transfer road. And uh, hopefully we'll have Jim Salverson back uh, in a couple of weeks' time. He's off on his holidays trying to get away from it all. I think we should sabotage him, mate, and uh, send a text or make up a fake press release that Declan Rice has (laughs) signed for Tottenham or something like that and see what his reaction is. Yeah, we should do. He's uh, he's not having a great start. I think he's he had a flat tire on his way down the motorway yesterday. So we'll make his uh, make his um, holiday even more miserable so far. <laughs> Don't forget to hit subscribe. That way you won't miss another episode of the show again. We'll be back on Monday. But that's it for today's football social daily. We'll catch you then.